Baggage. We've been talking about it for eight weeks. Some you unpack, and then some you pack up again, and, and you reposition things, and you, you hide things at the bottom, but it's all there. And the lesson that has to come out of a series like this is, at this point, only you can make the changes that need to be made. Only you can make the, the decisions. We've talked about all the different aspects of relationships and how they can be better. We've looked at, at Scripture. We've looked at the Bible to discern the biblical principles that will help us to live lives of relational integrity. But today, baggage says, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. So let me talk to you about the theory of everything. And love is not the easy thing, the only baggage you can bring. Julie knew she had to change something. After another screaming match with her 13-year-old daughter, Annie, she realized this was not simply a series of isolated fights. This was the dominant form of all her interactions with her daughter. As a single parent, she felt stretched so thin all the time that her emotional resources seemed depleted. This was going nowhere. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And as parents, we we love that, we hear that, and we say, yes, they must honor us. Yes, we are worthy of honor for all of our investment. And then Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so you see, clearly, there are two sides to this equation. There's the children honoring side, but we make it easier for them to honor when we understand them. We are required to to know them, to understand them, not to frustrate them, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that presupposes that we have to know them and we have to know God. We have to know what God wants from our lives so that we can impart it to their lives. And as we do that, and as they honor us, the equation comes out in the right way. It comes out in a way that brings great hope and great joy. The word instruction there is the Greek word It means the whole training and education of children. It means everything, the entire global system of training them to understand who they are, to understand their feelings, understand specific things that they need to do about life and do about faith. That word is also positioned in in a a very powerful passage In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture 
literally says all writing, all the writing is breathed out by God. And in the context, it meant everything that was written in the Jewish scriptures. All writing is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training. And that's the word padia again. In righteousness. In righteousness. And the word training in righteousness means you teach kids how God thinks. You teach kids how God feels about life. You teach kids how God would act in any given situation. That's the instruction. That's the instruction of the Lord that Paul is writing about. Thinking, feeling, acting, conformed to the will of God. And when you do that, you're pulling together both sides of this equation. Knowing, loving your kids deeply and showing them the right way to live because you know the right way. Because your life is grounded in the right way too. In Colossians, Paul put it this way, Colossians 3. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. One side of the equation, here's the other side of the equation. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Don't take the heart out of your kids. Don't suck the life out of them. Encourage them. Encourage them when they fail. Encourage them when... Their, their life gets sort of out of sorts or when the world starts to, to crumble in around them. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. It's when those two sides of the equation come together that you're really experiencing the theory of everything. And, and that's when parenting becomes a gift. You give yourself. But it's not easy, is it? Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld put it this way, reflecting on family life. He said, there's no such thing as fun for the whole family. <laughs> and we grew up that way, you know. All these promises of fun for the whole family, uh-uh. You know, there's one kid that's always whining. There's one kid that's always crying. Mom's getting frustrated or dad's getting frustrated. And we start to carry around a lot of baggage. The Bible is such a, a wonderful book. It teaches us all the principles that we need so that we can live our lives with, with integrity for relationships. Uh, and some of the ways it teaches us is it shows us when we fail. It shows us how sometimes life really is, and then basically it's saying, read this story and don't be like that. And that's what I'm going to do with you today. I'm going to read a, an Old Testament story from Genesis chapter 27, and it's going to show you how to not be in, in a family life. This is the epitome of, of brokenness that you're going to see revealed here in this story. Genesis 27. When Isaac had become an old man and was nearly blind, he called his eldest son Esau and said, My son, yes, father. Kind of innocent beginning to this story. I'm an old man, he said. I might die any day now. Now, here's the parentheses. He's going to live for decades after this. You know, but he's playing on the kid's emotions. I'm an old man, he said. I might die any day now. Do me a favor. Get your quiver of arrows and your bow and go out in the country and hunt me some game. 
He's just hungry. He doesn't have to make a big speech. I'm going to die. It could be any day. Maybe somebody can make me a sandwich. Maybe somebody can order me something. Please. Then fix me a hearty meal, the kind that you know I like, and bring it to me to eat so that I can give you my personal blessing before I die. The guilt is piling up and piling up. Rebecca was eavesdropping as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Mom was listening in. As soon as Esau had gone off to the country to hunt game for his father, Rebecca spoke to her son Jacob. I just overheard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, bring me some game and fix me a hearty meal so that I can eat and bless you with, with God's blessing before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do what I tell you. Go to the flock and get me two young goats. Pick the best. I'll prepare them into a hearty meal, the kind that your father loves. I know what he loves. I know how to get to his heart. Then you'll take it to your father. He'll eat and bless you before he dies. The man is going to live for decades. Everybody's playing this game. But mother, Jacob said, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What happens is my father touches me. He'll think I'm playing games with him. I'll bring down a curse on myself instead of a blessing. He goes, Mom, do you really think we should do this? If it comes to that, said his mother, I'll take the curse on myself. She wants to do this. Now just do what I say. Go and get the goats. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she cooked a hearty meal, the kind his father loved so much. Rebecca took the dress-up clothes or the fancy clothes of her older son Esau, his really good stuff, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She did this, parentheses, so that when he got close to his father, who wasn't able to see real well, he would smell the smell of his other son. It's all part of the ruse. It's all part of the game. She took the goat skins and covered his hands in the smooth nape of his neck. Then she placed the hearty meal she had fixed and fresh bread she'd baked into the hands of her son Jacob. You could smell the bread coming out of the kitchen. It was so wonderful. The meal, he could smell the stew. He went to his father and said, my father, but he wasn't smart enough to change his voice. My father, yes, he said, which son are you? Jacob answered his father, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. I did what you told me. Come now, sit up and eat of my game so you can give me your personal blessing. Isaac said, he's starting to, to catch on here. So soon, how did you get it so quickly? He knows you got to go out for the hunt. You got you to kill the game. You got to skin the game. You got to cook the game. It's, this, this happened all a little too quick. So what does he do? He does what any upright standing young man who loves God would do. He blames it on God. Because God cleared the way for me. This is a biblical principle. When you're lying and you're not sure that you're going to get through, blame something on God. It works all the time. Uh, that is not a biblical principle. Don't say, I'm going to take that out of the tape because I don't want anybody saying that. It was just for fun. Because your God cleared the way for me. Isaac said, come close, son. Let me touch you. Are you really my son Esau? He's just unnerved by this. So Jacob moved close to his father Isaac. Isaac felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. The mother's chicanery is working. But as he was about to bless him, he pressed him. You're sure you are my son Esau? Yes, I am. Isaac said, bring the food so I can eat of my son's game and give you my personal blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. 
verses 31, 30 and 31. And then right after Isaac had blessed Jacob and Jacob had left, Esau showed up from the hunt. Enter stage right Esau. He had also prepared a hearty meal. He came to his father and said, let my father get up and eat of his son's game. He was so proud that he may give me his personal blessing. His father Isaac said, and who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac started to tremble, shaking violently. So he is just shaking and trembling. He said, then who hunted game and brought it to me? I finished the meal just now, before you walked in, and I blessed him. He's blessed for good. In other words, I can't take that back. Esau, hearing his father's words, sobbed violently and most bitterly and cried to his father, My father, can't you also bless me? Did you ever see a more dysfunctional group than this? The mother's trickery. The, the, the sun swirling in the middle of this, the, the, the blessing, the non-blessing, the, 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 the stew, you know, I'm going to die, he's going to live. It's, it's all this, this craziness of relationship. And it's going to create a lot, of, a lot of baggage. Esau seethed in anger against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He brooded. The time for mourning my father's death is close. And then I'll kill my brother Jacob. When these words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, when mom heard this, she called her younger son Jacob and said, your brother Esau is plotting vengeance against you. He's going to kill you. Son, listen to me. Get out of here. Run for your life to Haran to my brother Laban, live with him for a while until your brother cools down, until his anger subsides and he forgets what you did to him. I'll then send for you and bring you back. Why should I lose both of you the same day? Rebecca then speaks to Isaac as the chapter closes. I'm sick to death of these Hittite women. If Jacob also marries a Hittite woman, why live? I can't take these women. Talk, talk, talk all the time. They never do anything. They just sit down and just yak, yak, yak all the time. And if I have to meet another Hittite woman, I'm just going to scream. What is going on with these people? What's going on is they had baggage, and now the baggage has birthed baggage, and, and the whole parenting thing has just crumbled around them. The children aren't able to really honor, and the parents aren't understanding and leading them in a way of, of the way God thinks and the way God feels and the way God acts, and the whole cushy system starts to collapse in on itself because that's what happens. You can have a form of family peace and love on the outside, but if it's not secured on the inside, sooner or later, it is going to collapse. Proverbs 22, Proverbs 22, 6, one of my favorite verses. Again, here's kind of both sides of the equation. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now you take the word train. It's an ancient Hebrew word, and it doesn't mean a regimen. It doesn't mean a, a course of study. Train up a child. The word train 
is a word of intimacy. It's related to when a, a midwife would have to nurse a baby. She would take some dates and she would chew on these dates. She would make a paste from chewing on the dates and then she would take some of that paste, she would put it on her breast so that when the child took to her breast, the child would experience sweetness. See, the child can't think and understand, the child can't verbalize, but the child can inherently know I am being drawn into a good relationship. This is sweet, this is warm, this is close. Somebody loves me. They don't know the word yet, but they know the experience of love. And we've studied this, and we know that kids know the experience of love before they know anything, and they know when they don't have it also. And so train means to draw a child into the sweetness of unconditional love, so the child will always remember that. And the way he should go, or in the way she should go, literally means a child is bent in a certain way. There's already something inside of this child that's trying to come out because God put it there. And so you are to take that and study your child and be an amazing student of your child to discern the bent, the direction that they're already wired by God for, and then you encourage them to continue to go in that way. If you look back at your life, you can probably, by the time you're 30, 40, 50, start to say, oh, the bent in my life, it was already there when I was in grade school. Who I am today, I could see it there as I began to be an adolescent, as I graduated from high school. I remember being in the third grade, and I would, I would write stories. I would write stories. You know what else I would do? I would make up pages of jokes, and I would sell them on the bus when we went on a field trip. <laughs> I love to make you laugh, and I love to tell you stories. That was part of the bent that God put in my life from the very moment I was born. And so as you love your child intimately in a sweetness of, of deep intimacy, as you study your child and you, you help your child to become who God already created them to be, it says even when he is old, even when she is old, when they are old, they will not depart from it because you have helped them to become who they are all the way through. Even when they have failed, you have, you have been there to love them through. You haven't gone out of your way to maybe fix everything because that would take their responsibility away. But while they're learning to fix things, as they fall down, you're there to assist them and to be with them. And this is, is the theory of everything, my friends. Parenting is a gift you give to yourself. There are some styles of parenting that just don't work. This comes from a, a book called Parenting by Grace by Tim Kimmel. Image control parenting doesn't work. This is life is a, is a checklist. And if we check all these boxes, and if we, all, if we look really good, if all the right boxes get checked about who we are and what we should do and where we should be, and, all, and check, 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 then, then somehow this is all going to turn out great. And again, it might, but it, it's not designed to be that way. It's, it's not a checklist. It's a building into a child the way they should go. And you've got to look at those checklists. Sometimes those checklists are heavy on our agenda, not on the direction of the child agenda. Or we just want the child to, to kind of reflect some gratification back on us. Check, check, check. We must be great parents. Look at how well-dressed they are. We must be great parents. Look at how polite they are. 
And, and again, it could be, it's not wrong, but it can be very superficial if that's all you do. So image control parenting doesn't work in the long run. It's not enough. High control parenting. This is toxic bondage. High control parenting is when you make all the decisions. You're, you're there to do all the rescuing. You're there to tell the child what to think and how to think and what to say and what not to say. And, and Now, you need to do some of that as a parent. We all know that. But when this is all you do and the kid's now 18 and you're ready to launch this, this kid, you saw that, that movie, Failure to Launch. You know, there were some scenes in that movie. Yeah, you saw it too. There were some scenes in that movie that we don't want to see. But it was about just being too much. And it doesn't work. High-control parenting doesn't work. You, you want to create a person who is able to make decisions and make good decisions. That's where the instruction of the Lord comes in. Herd mentality parenting, following the crowd. This is when, well, everybody's kid is on a soccer team, and everybody's kid is on a bus going somewhere, and everybody's kid's busy 24-7, and you have a quiet kid who likes to stay at home, and you force that kid into a mold that's not who they are because everybody else is doing it, and you want to be be part of the, the crowd, each person, each human being comes into the world a unique individual with unique characteristics and unique needs. And when everybody's sort of doing the same thing, something's not right somewhere. Duct tape parenting, patching up problems, patching up problems. You've got real problems that need attention and need energy to, to fix at a deeper level, at the root level, and you throw a piece of duct tape on it and you just keep going, and it'll come back later. 911 parenting, always in crisis mode, always in crisis mode, something's happening, oh, this happened, oh, that happened, and we're responding and reacting all the time to things that we feel are out of our control, and so there's a high level of anxiety in our lives all the time. 911 parenting doesn't work. Duct tape parenting doesn't work. Herd mentality parenting doesn't work. High control parenting doesn't work. Image control parenting doesn't work. Parenting can be a gift you give to yourself. Tim Kimmel put it this way, how children turn out is far more contingent on what is going on inside them than outside them. In other words, when you've built the right systems into a kid, whatever is going on outside is not going to impact them because they've got something on the inside. They've got stability built into the inside. That's why anything that you slap on the outside without taking care of the inside is ineffectual. He says there are two big flaws of parenting, and I agree with him. The two big flaws are the battle is primarily outside of the child. There's too many bad things out there. I'm going to protect my kid from all the bad things. Are you going to hang out with your kid when they're 24? You can't. Are you going to never let them get a driver's license? You can't. So you've got to build the inside so strong that the outside is going to bounce off. The spiritual life can be transferred onto a child's heart, much like information can be placed on a computer hard drive. No. There's a whole different process of, of teaching a child about God and faith and life and, and the things that we call the fruit of the Spirit and, and the stories that Jesus told. And Let me tell you about the theory of everything. Emotional coaching 
is one of the greatest demands of parenting. John Gottman talked about this after he researched hundreds of families and, and did longitudinal studies. And he said, the thing that really differentiates parents that make a huge difference in their kids' lives from parents who just kind of throw their kids out there and hope for the best is emotional coaching. This is where intimacy and love come from. And it's so simple, and yet so often it gets ignored. It gets ignored by, by parents so easily. Emotional coaching is when you understand that your kids are feeling something and you identify it and then you get into the feeling with them and you, you work the feeling through with them to the other side of the feeling. You seem really sad today, Bobby. What's, what's going on? Can we, let's just sit down for a minute here. They'll get fluffy. We'll put fluffy on the couch and we'll sit down and we'll just tell me what's going on. And you work through it with them. And when we don't do that, the child never understands that feelings are valuable and, and feelings are taking them somewhere. They don't know what to do with them because kids have all the same feelings that we have, but they don't have the vocabulary or the, the concepts that we have to understand things. Emotional coaching will save you heartache after heartache. It's all about taking the time to sit down and talk about where they are with that feeling that you're seeing. You see it in their face. You see it in their posture. You, you just see it. Setting proper limits is all about tough love. You've heard about tough love. And that's, that's one of the hard parts of being a parent. When you go, I love you, but you're not going to that party. I know there's going to be drugs there. I know there's going to be drinking there. And we've seen it before, and, and we're just not doing it. Well, you're the worst parent ever. I hate you. You can hate me all you want. You're still not going to the party. Okay? It's done. It's over. That discussion is over. We'll talk about something that's a little more rational when you are able to. But right now, you're not going. So tough love, setting proper limits is part of being a great parent. Teaching through stories, instructive love. Instructive love is you've got all these stories about your own life growing up. Use those stories. Mind those stories to teach Principles about honesty and about prayer, and about hope. Use those stories to teach your kid just the way Jesus used stories to teach us. And if you can't think of a story, there's plenty of stories in, in books. Faulkner, you might want to check him out. <laughs> plenty of stories in books. Time and engagement. This is what I call banking love. You've heard it before. How do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. And... and yeah, time takes, takes time. And you go, I got all these things to do. You can't have all these things to do if you've taken the responsibility to be a parent. You've got to create moments and times and seasons. I, I look back at the parenting years when the kids were younger, and it's, it's gone so fast. But I look back and I go, wow, that trip we took to Cooperstown. Travis and I driving all the way to Cooperstown, the middle of nowhere, and then the Hall of Fame standing in Hank Aaron's locker. Uh, you can't replace that with anything. Going to Shea Stadium, meeting Eddie Murphy in the lobby, going to Yankee Stadium, Travis falling on the field, getting chased by the police to catch a ball by Jose Canseco. It's like you can't, you can't get that if you just don't spend time and go. You know, it was amazing. And, and we went to the 1996 Olympics, Right after the bombing in Atlanta, Travis just got his driver's license. We're going to the Olympics together. 
He's driving the car. That's an experience of faith. <laughs> He's 16. It was crazy. We saw Charles Barkley. I, I caught Charles Barkley's sneaker after, after the United States beat Croatia or some team, and, 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 and I got jumped on and mugged for the sneaker. And you can't, you can't, if you don't go, you don't have stories like that. Took Ashley to El Salvador. And we saw poverty that staggers the imagination. We saw it together. And those times pay rich dividends in the years to come. Now we see her in New York and we see what she does and we, we, we spend time with her. It doesn't matter what age your kids are. They're, they're always your kids Time and engagement, banking, love is so important. Modeling faith and life, love in action, so important. Got to read you this, this story from a book called Small Talk, Learning from My Children About What Matters Most, Amy Julia Becker. Not long after William tells me that Jesus sneaks into his room at night, I am praying with Penny before I turn out her light. After I conclude the prayer, Penny asks... What in Jesus' name, what in Jesus' name does it mean, Mom? It's been a long day. We have friends over for dinner, and I want to get downstairs to a glass of wine and some adult company as quickly as possible. I've already fallen for three other stalling tactics, water, socks, and prayer. So I say, um, it's just the way we pray, Pen. okay? I give her a kiss and walk out the door. But her question lingers. What does it mean to offer a prayer to God, to converse with God and believe that God hears and responds in the name of Jesus? A few days later, Penny and I are sitting on a living room sofa looking at, out the picture window at Peter and William building a snowman. I say, Pen, I didn't answer your question very well the other night. That's okay, Mom. I know, but I'm going to try to do better. You asked me what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And I've been thinking about your question. I think it means we aren't just praying on our own. We are praying as a part of Jesus' family in Jesus' name. I open my arms to indicate her brother and her dad in front of us. Just like our family has all the name Becker, God's family all has Jesus' name. So when we say in Jesus' name, we're saying that we're excited to be a part of God's family. As I say it, I realize that I've become more and more like my children. I want to tell my friends about Jesus in the same way. I want to talk about the novel I just finished reading, or the new restaurant we enjoyed, not out of obligation, but out of delight. There's so much I do not understand, and so many questions that have remained unanswered. But after all these years of trying to nail down the specifics, I am ready to simply be with him. I'm glad he sneaks into our house. I hope I have ears to listen. Modeling faith and life is love in action. It's in a moment like that that you, you bring God and Jesus closer to the heart of your child than any kind of a manufactured experience of Jesus. This is organic Christianity. This is Christianity kneeling down to say nighttime prayers. This is Christianity praying about a dead goldfish. This is Christianity while you're making a snowman, while you're walking to the grocery store, Romans 1.17 puts it this way, the good news shows how God makes people right with himself, that it begins and ends with faith, as the scripture says, but those who are right with God 
will live by faith. Emotional coaching, intimacy and love, setting proper limits, tough love, teaching through stories, instructive love, time and engagement, banking love, modeling faith and life, love in action. Tim Kimmel puts it this way. Children brought up in homes where they are free to be different, vulnerable, candid, and to make mistakes, learn firsthand what the genuine love of God looks like. When all this is done over a period of decades, the emerging adult is able to repeat this process in his or her own family. And parenting is a gift you've given not only to yourself, but to the next generation. And so to wrap everything up, there was a letter written to you. Dear friends, you live in families because I knew it was the one place life would be exposed for everything it is and everything it can be. In a family, you will see the best and worst of yourselves. What you see in the world is always and only the result of what happens in families. Let me tell you the secret to my family strategy. Families can be places of courage and places of cowardice. They can be shelters from the storm as well as the storm's mightiest blows. They can be harbingers of grand adventures and they can be creeping sloths of indifference. They can revel in a satirical fusion of arrogance and insensitivity. Families are the race won and the race lost. The politicians promise and the politicians practice. The words of truth and the words of deception. The brilliance of the mountain's glory and the valley of the shadow of doom. Families are where you find yourself or lose your potential. It all happens in a place you call home. Choosing to live in my wisdom will make your family a family of future success. You'll keep destruction at bay by keeping my words in your minds. Choosing to live in my love and grace will shape your family toward an inheritance of hope. You'll build bridges to integrity by winning the wars of self-centeredness, which are each day's battlegrounds. Now here's the secret. Life really has nothing to do with your family. It has everything to do with you. When you get you right, your family will be right. Or moving toward what's right. And the first way to get you right is for you to get right with me. Let's start there. It will take some time, but time is my currency, and I always spend it on the most important things. You can't make a family without me, because I made families out of bunches of yous who need me. Family starts with you. Always been that way. You live in families because I knew it was the one place you would be exposed for everything you are and everything you can be. I'll meet you right there. That's the theory of everything. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to keep growing. Help us to keep stretching. Help us to keep letting go of things we need to let go of. Change our perspective, Father. Shift our hearts where they need to be shifted. Whisper into our ears when we need the truth. Save us from arrogance and from self-centeredness and from greed and from demandingness, from creating our own agendas, from defining you in our terms. 
Father, let us be your glory individually and as families and as your great family upon the earth. Let us reflect your love and your grace so that people know who you are, so that people know your son, Jesus Christ. Father, take these men and women now. Press the lessons they need into their hearts. Guide them into a future that is built on the theory of everything. We give our lives to you again today. In Jesus' name.